going to ask you to take your Bibles again and turn to Matthew chapter 13, please. So Matthew chapter 13. And we'll begin reading at the first verse. We'll just, again, want to give our attention to this portion of God's precious and holy Word. So I want to read from verse 1 down through verse 23. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto Him, so that He went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, And forthwith they sprung up, because it had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground, and brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold, and some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not... From him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive." For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. (laughs) Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom... And understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. 
This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he which that receives seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon, or immediately, with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed in, unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some 30. Amen. When the reading there at that last verse 23, and again we look for the Lord's blessing upon it. With that word open and having been read, let us again seek the Lord's face to help us in this portion of the Scriptures. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as Jesus has here has set forth this parable, oh, that we might enter into it. Father, that we may draw the lessons that we should from it. Or may we not be those that harden our hearts and close our eyes and shut our ears lest we would be converted and be healed by the Lord. But, O oh God, make us that good ground. Lord, give us the anointing upon our eyes. Oh, Lord, the unstopping of our ears. And, Lord, the softening of our hearts, that we may receive of this seed of the Word, the Holy Scriptures, the message of this book unto eternal life. Lord, bless our thoughts, we pray, as they would conform to this good book. Forgive us of our sins. And Lord, advance Thy work in us this day. For Christ's sake we ask it. Amen. Well, we come to this great parable again. And it's really, in many ways, his first parable as we mentioned the other week. Because it really, in this one, one of the things that makes it great is not only that he explains and he turns in his ministry, great meaning significant, uh, in his teaching publicly to the multitudes, in this fashion, in this way. But also, it shows us exactly what the future ministry of Jesus, that great sower of the seed, would look like. And even those who follow Him in sowing the seed, especially ministers or evangelists, because we, we have here this preaching, this declaring, this proclaiming of the Word. Not that... Individual Christians as we are too, 
in giving out the word more personally, don't see the same thing, but thinking this one's more in view of the public. Not that there's not good application there. But we also have a forecast to show us what our expectations ought to be in our labors in the gospel. And I think we have all heard and been affected by the idea today that a minister, a missionary, an evangelist, a church is successful only if conversions occur when they're evangelizing, when they're preaching, when things are, maybe when you get a, extend it down farther when you get out of track or speak to someone. That's when it's successful. Otherwise, it's a failure. It's a very popular view. One of our ministers, uh, Ryan Denton, in Lubbock, Texas, has written a little book we have out here on the shelf too, but um, Ten Modern Evangelism Myths. And one of those myths is what I just said, that evangelism is unsuccessful if no one is converted by it. He, I'm going to read just a paragraph here that he mentions a, a certain man, Darius Salter, he wrote a book on American evangelism. And so I'm just going to quote um, Ryan here. He notes, meaning Salter, that Martin Luther defined evangelism as nothing other than preaching, the speaking forth of God's grace and mercy, which the Lord Jesus Christ has earned and acquired through His death. And that Packer defines it as just preaching the gospel, the evangel. It is the work of the communication in which Christians make themselves a mouthpieces for God's message of mercy to sinners. These definitions are wonderfully biblical, but Salter goes on to claim that both Martin Luther and J.I. Packer's definitions of evangelism are defective. His reason is because they leave no room for the evaluation of effectiveness. By effectiveness, Salter means success in conversions. It should not be a surprise then to find him later saying, Evangelism has failed if it does not result in the evangelized, those who heard it, ultimately being seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he has some other quotes from others that agree with that assessment of evangelism, not just Mr. Salter. But I just say that to show that in our day and age, and if one of the Mr. Salter's book was in the 90s, he quotes another one from the 70s, same, to the same effect. Uh, this is a very prominent view that if you don't see the numerical increase or the actual conversion, then it was a failure. It did not accomplish what it is supposed to do. I would say this, for one thing, and, and Mr. Denton points this out. Behind of this view is that conversions are the ultimate aim of evangelism.
And he gives quotes to back that up, of course. But brethren, I would say, not only just evangelism, our worship here, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, our living, our praying, whatever we do, is really what? For the glory of God. We go to work. We may not make as much money as we thought we should have. We may not achieve the best level of work we aim at. But are we doing it for the glory of God? It's the same in evangelism. The the ultimate purpose of evangelism is not conversion of sinners. It is the glory of the Almighty God. All things were made by Him, Revelation tells us, and for Him. Including conversions. So that's just a basic principle for Christians, that all things are to aim and will redound ultimately, whether they're aimed or not, at the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's something just to start to think about there. Should we be concerned for sinners being saved? Yes, we should. <laughs> Paul said he strove that he might save at least some. What did Christ do? I think we mentioned this maybe last time, which a couple weeks ago, I believe, anyway. In the Gospel of John, those who took up stones to stone him, those who looked for opportunities to kill him, Of course, they did other means far less than that, and they're persecuting of Him as much as they could. Jesus looked at them and said, These things I say unto you that ye might be saved. No, we're not saying that it doesn't matter. We'll just say this and maybe somebody will be, maybe it doesn't. No, that's not the point. It's not the concern. It's not the, the affection for it. It's not the desire for it. But what is the ultimate goal of it? As in all things, it is the glory of the Almighty Trinity. And even the salvation of sinners, remember in Ephesians 1, is to the praise of the glory of His grace. His grace. So the salvation of sinners, far then from eclipsing God's glory, actually praises it, magnifies it. It's just another voice to promote it, to promote it. So we look at this parable. Uh, we, We do see then, I say, what Christ's ministry would look like from here on out. And whatever a gospel minister's ministry will look like as well. Because he speaks here of the ministry of sowing. He calls it in verse 18, the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. When he begins to explain it uh, to his disciples. And so it concerns really uh, the sower and the ground that he sowed upon. And so today I just want to look really at the sower. The sower. 
And Lord willing, next time we'll look at the ground in more in detail that He sowed upon. Because, as we said, the success that we are told today must be measured by the numbers or by the actual conversions of each one that is a talk to or preached to or that kind of thing does not seem to bear out here in what Jesus says actually happens. It is to be expected when we sow the Word of God. But let's look at the sower here. The person of the sower, we'll start with that. So it's person, the, the person sowing. And in verse 3 it says, and then end, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. As we have mentioned often, Jesus uses this word behold to get our attention, to look closely, to think about this with me. It's an important point. A sower went forth to sow. And when we think of that person going, as we said, the ultimate sower is the Lord Jesus Christ. As one commentator pointed out, Jesus went forth. He was sent forth, really, from the Father to preach the gospel. Isaiah tells us to preach those good tidings. He came from heaven down to do the work of His Father. Yes, the ultimate work was the cross. But there's many other points of His work as the mediator. And one of them was to preach the gospel. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so He sowed the Word to them. He came in John 17, you remember in that great prayer He prayed, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and He prayed to His Father. And He said, the time has now come to glorify Me with that glory that I had before He came. That the Son may glorify the Father. But He said with that, I have finished the work that Thou gavest Me to do. And you see throughout that chapter of John 17, that prayer, how much emphasis He puts upon giving the Word to His disciples. Telling them the truth that the world did not receive. They did not like it. They did not like the disciples and didn't like Jesus because they had that Word and the truth. But the point is, for now, is that He gave them. His, part of His work was to commit that truth, that seed, to His disciples, He finished that work. He came to sow. And again, we think about already in the Gospel of Matthew, that after He was baptized and the Spirit of God filled Him without measure, He went preaching. He went sowing. A Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, and 7. One great sermon. Again, uh, very likely not the whole sermon, but what God the Spirit knew was best for us to have out of that sermon preserved for us. 
That's just one example. Even here, you know, after being heavily persecuted in chapter 12, and even sincerely interrupted by his family at the end of chapter 12, he has what we call that next appointment that he set for himself. He went out of the house and sat by the seaside. He was not content to be idle. He must be one that really exemplifies this sower who went out and went forth to sow. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that he and Apollos are those who continue that ministry of Jesus just like, as we said, every minister should. I think I wrote down the wrong reference there. Um, Just look here. Well... Let me just summarize it, because I don't have it right there. Somehow I did not write that down right. But you remember the text in Corinthians, where some were saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus. And Paul says, you know, what are we? We're someone that sowed. We're another man that watered. But God Himself gave the increase. I'm sorry, it's 1 Corinthians 3. Let's look it back up here in the wrong Roman numeral. He says in verse 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. They are to go out. Ministers, after the following Christ, these sowers are to plant, to water, to throw out the Word. And that is our second thought. Not only who is to sow, the sower himself, as those that are sent out to to sow. Christ being the first in this church. And the apostles and all those that follow them. But what are they sowing? What is the seed that they are to sow? We've mentioned it as the Word. If you look at verse 19, he says, When anyone heareth the Word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not. Then again, verse 22, He that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the Word. And so forth. The Word of God. Thomas Watson said he could not say too much about the Word of God. He said, truth has noble effects. Truth is the seed of the new birth. God does not regenerate us by miracles or revelations, but by the Word of truth. James 1.18 
The seed is the word of the kingdom. It announces it. It gives its terms. When we go out, when we preach, Jesus has told us what to do, hasn't He? Through His Apostle, preach the Word. 2 Timothy 4. In season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke with all authority. He said, for the time will come when they will not receive the truth, but will have itching ears. And what will they do? They'll heap up teachers to themselves. They will tell them what they want. Not the truth. Not the Word of God. We're speaking here then of those that sow the Word. The truth. The Holy Scriptures. The Gospel message. The glad tidings. It's called in Isaiah the Gospel of Peace. They're not to make up their own message. James Denny, I wish I had brought it with me in the pulpit, but he's an old Scottish a Presbyterian. And in one of the churches over there, they have his little quote of his on the, in the vestibule, I think, when you come in. But it says something to the effect that when a man preaches Christ, he does not preach Him if he makes himself to be eloquent, or to seem wise, or to seem great. All that takes Christ and puts Him under. He said it much better than that. But that's the gist of it. We are to preach Him. As Paul says, we don't preach ourselves, we preach ourselves servants to you, but Christ Jesus is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the Lamb of God. He is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, redemption. Not the preacher. We must have an eye to Him being exalted, to Him being set forth. Christ said in John 5, Search the Scriptures. Not for in them you think you'll have many interesting things. There are many interesting things. Naturally, supernaturally, politically, ecclesiastically, financially, economically, all kinds of things. We can learn you know, from that. But the main focus, he said, for in them you think you have eternal life. And in them are they, are they that speak of me. They are they that speak of me. That's the main focus. That is the, the pearl that we must look for. John Holt Rice said one time in his day, the two types of preachers were the rational religionists and the evangelical preachers. And he said, of the rationally religionists, they, they come across to make themselves very wise and they're very much for education and manners and all of these things. They talk about all the niceties of morality and how, you know, crime and sin is very inconvenient, that kind of thing. But he said of the evangelical preachers, yes, they're for great learning, real understanding, and manners. But they also think it a crime to be lukewarm in the service of their master. 
They would hold forth the gospel and count all things but loss that they may preach the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Christ is saying. Yes, you may understand so much of the things in the Scriptures as the Pharisees did, the Sadducees did. Great acumen in some of these details. But what do they think of Christ? Are they sowing the seed of the kingdom, the word that speaks of Christ? I cannot say too much of the word. Every time Christ turned around, he said, I do this. Or I say this, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And men contest with Him about things. Like we saw on the Sabbath day, what did He say? Have you not read? Have you not read? What did the Scriptures say about the resurrection? Have you not read? The apostles carry that on. We're not justified by works. Paul says, why? Because it is written, the just shall live by faith. Brethren, the sowing must be the Word of God. The Word of God. That is what to be cast out, to be proclaimed, to be declared, to be preached. Remember the rich man Lazarus when he Gave that story. They both died. Lazarus was carried by angels to the bosom of Abraham to paradise, to heaven. The rich man went into hell, suffering greatly. He told Abraham, please, at least send somebody back like Lazarus from the dead to my brothers. He had to send five. He doesn't want them to come to this place of torment. What did Abraham Say, they have Moses and the prophets. He said, no, 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 no. If somebody raised from the dead, then they'll believe. What did Moses say? If they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither shall they believe if one rose from the dead. Brethren, let us not think that this is a hindrance to salvation. This is the way. This is the confidence that God tells us to have of saving anyone. Is sowing the seed of the Word of God. Thomas Peck points out, if you, you remember reading just a minute, a few minutes ago, this parable. He's sowing seed onto the ground, into the earth. Because the earth and the seed are compatible. If you know, they're, they're made for each other. They're adapted to one another. The seed grows in the earth. Same with the Word of God and the mind or the heart of man. They're adapted one to another. Why didn't the seed grow in some of these other grounds? Just the one it grew in. It wasn't because it was not ground. 
There's something wrong with the ground. The tendency of seed is to grow in the ground. It's like the tendency of the gospel is to save sinners. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. Something wrong with the heart. I won't go back and read it again, but remember in Romans chapter 2, you read those that know the gospel and have heard it, and they said, Why are you not repenting? You're, the, you're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath because your heart is hard and you will not believe. And, it, and Paul seems to say that they're hardening their own hearts. Just like here, when Christ explained the parables. These people have shut their ears. They have closed their eyes. They've hardened their hearts. And yes, God in His sovereignty has a definite role in that. But they're not chosen to soften, to open. Though they could be if they came. We see, it's not that there's a problem with the gospel, with Christ's preaching of it, with anyone else's. Its tendency, its aim is to save that's the message. I think as Luther said, right? The mercy of God to sinners that He has gotten by His death. Why won't they believe? They won't. But the Word is to be preached. The Word's tendency, its adaptation is toward the mind. So let us be confident in it. And it's a good thing to get the Bible in our conversations. Of course, if we're preaching, we better be preaching this <laughs> itself. But your conversations are different when you talk to people or whatever, you know, just comes in how it can. Let us have confidence in it. It's adapted. It's made for the heart and the mind of the sinner to save them. So for them to receive, for them to be benefited by it. Well, let's look at lastly then, not only the, the person that sows and the thing that sowed, the seed, the Word, but also where is it to be sowed? Where is its area or its field? Where should we sow it? We look here in, in Jesus' parable. And of course, these are hearts of men, the Word of God as we know from His explanation. But you have four grounds listed here. There's some by the wayside. There's some in stony places. There's some among thorns. And then there's the good ground. But you know, Jesus sowed on all types. He preached to all kinds of hearers. If you will, he tested each type of ground to see what it would bring forth. In other words, we're just so everywhere. All types of people. Paul said he was a debtor, the rich and the poor, the learned, the unlearned, the Greek, you know, the very sophisticated, cultured man, and the barbarian. He sowed, He preached to all types. This is Jesus had taught Him here in Matthew 13. 
He didn't spare. But he talked to all. He preached to all. He had this great multitude gathered together here. No doubt, all four types are represented in this great multitude. probably say more about this next time, but as we opened up with Ryan Denton's thoughts there about the gospel and success. And I'm not making percentages because I don't know that that's really the point here, but you see there's three types of ground, three types of hearers that in the end, some very, very quickly, others longer, but proved out to be Unfruitful. Or as we could say with Mr. Um, Salter, if we would agree with him, which I don't know it's a good idea there, but unsuccessful. Only one type of ground, type of heart, type of hearer, really proved out fruitful to the end. Was Jesus unsuccessful? I don't think so. He finished the work that God gave him to do. Paul said in one of the Corinthians, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. Jesus was faithful in sowing the word. He's faithful in everything. But we also are to be faithful. I mean, those folks that had wrote those books, I wonder what they do, what they did, if they sowed the Word and many did not believe. It would be greatly discouraging that they're completely unsuccessful. But 2 Corinthians 2, Paul speaks... Of this very thing. He says in verse 12, I'll read verse 12 down to verse 17. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. That's verse 14 now. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And it might, let's keep reading, but that might sound strange here in a minute. And maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ or of Christ. 
Paul, the great preacher of Christ, to all men, as his Savior was, as his Master was. I said, God causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor, the smell of His knowledge by us in every place, both in the saved and in the unsaved, those that perish. Paul says, you know, we are savers of life unto life to some and death unto death unto others. And who is sufficient for these things? It's no flippant matter with Paul. He doesn't abuse the doctrine of God's sovereignty to say, well, you know, hey, some are saved, some aren't. I speak as a fool. These are eternal destinies he's speaking of. Everlasting bliss like Lazarus. Or everlasting torment like the rich man in that parable or that story. Paul's saying, what man, being the messenger, being the saver of Christ in that way, as men either receive or reject Him, who's sufficient? Who's worthy? Who, in, who would dare take that office? Well, none. Except called thereto. We must be careful, as Paul said, not to corrupt that seed. Not to twist it and think... The margin here says, or deal deceitfully with the Word of God. Oh, we must set out the terms of God's Word correctly. Not being ashamed of it. Not twisting it to fit the moment. Obviously preach things that are relevant. Make it relevant to the situation, but not to twist it, not to hide it. The difference there. But Paul says we don't fail. We're not unsuccessful, if you will. But we are truly victorious. We are truly triumphing in the Savior when we make known the Gospel in every person. Whether they are these uh, three types of ground that don't bring forth fruit unto eternal life. Or whether they are the ground, the good ground that does. Some a hundredfold, some... Sixty-fold and some thirty-fold. They are successful. They are faithful. They have finished the work that God wanted them to do. Again, it's a solemn thing. We must say, O Father, for it seemed good in Thy sight with our Savior. That we are a saver sometimes. We sow on seed. We sow on ground rather. And sometimes does not receive it. Does not understand it. There's no faith there. There's no faith. Well brethren let us <clears throat> end there. And let us also apply these things to our prayer lives. That we might pray that your pastor and every faithful pastor would continue to be faithful, not, not to deal deceitfully, not to twist the word, but to take really the seed as we find it. I don't want to make too much of the parable details here, but you think of the, of the farmer that's sowing. He doesn't 
He just pulls out what's already in the sack and throws it out. In the old days, you need to cast it out like that. When, when you get the modern tractors and you have the, the cedars, you pour in either out of a, a huge um, bin or out of your bag. But you don't you know, make the seed. You don't look through it and all that. You just pour it in and use it. Help us, Lord, pray the Lord help us to take this as it were in our sack and pull it out and use it just like it is. We don't need to manufacture seed. We need to sow it. <laughs> we need to sow it. Pray for that. And pray that God would bless it. The Holy Spirit would use it. Again, is it not clear, and we'll try to say more of that next time, that without something outside the soil working on it to make it good, it won't bear fruit. Something has to change the soil. The soil doesn't work itself. Pray that God will bless the sowing of it. Bless the hearts that receive it. Well, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that Thou would raise up sowers of this good seed of the Word of God. Lord, make them able ministers. Make them faithful. Not dealing deceitfully with the Word of God. But speaking the truth as of sincerity, as in the sight of God of our Lord Jesus. Father, strengthen us in our desire, even as Paul had to see sinners saved. But may we also bow with Him and our Savior when we find that many reject it, receive it not, and say that God has determined these things. That it was good in His sight to go this way. O oh Lord, give us, we pray, good ground. We know we'll have other kinds of ground too. But Lord, give us good ground, we pray, to sow upon. May we follow the Master. May we know His grace in these things. Magnify Thy Word. O oh Lord, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.